Today's show is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at tryexpressvpn.com slash space. That's tryexpressvpn.com slash space for three months free with a one-year package. Visit tryexpressvpn.com slash space to learn more. 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 10, 9... Ignition sequence start. Space nuts. Five, four, three, two. One, two, three, four, five, five, four, three, two, one. Space nuts. Astronauts report it feels good. Hello again, and thank you for joining us on the podcast. We like to call space nuts for no other reason than it wasn't taken. And joining us as always is Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Observatory. Hello, Fred. <laughs> Hi, Andrew. Maybe it wasn't taken because nobody will be stupid enough to call podcast space nuts. Possibly not. Possibly not. Uh, I will say it was not my idea. No, good. But, <laughs> it wasn't um, mine either. Anyway, we're stuck with it. Yeah, I think we are. Mm. Today, we're going to talk about uh, something that um, I, I didn't know had happened in the history of, uh, of space. Uh, or the space race, and um, I suspect you didn't know either, Fred, and not many people do. So we're going to look at um, the 50th anniversary of Australia entering the space race. Uh, we're also going to talk about China finding signs of dark matter. Well, they reckon they have, but they, they actually haven't seen this stuff. So, you know, come That's on. That's because it's dark. Yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and space pizza on the menu uh, today as well. But uh, first, Fred, 50 years since Australia entered the space race, uh, the auspicious date of the 29th of November 1967. Now, you know me, I'm always looking for a reason to add an extra public holiday to the Australian calendar. <laughs> Here it is. Yeah, that's right. It's, uh, it's a no-brainer, really, isn't it? We should have a holiday every year on the 29th of November. And for the Scottish people amidst us, it would just give us a warm-up for the 30th of November, which is St Andrew's Day. Of course. So there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, the story is a really interesting one, though, and and I I confess to my shame that I was not aware of this either. That on the 29th of November 1967, Australia became only the third country in the world to build and launch a satellite from its own uh, land, from its own territory. So I, I, this is really um, you know a surprising thing. We were up there with the Russians and the Americans, who were, of course, the other two. And it was a spacecraft that uh, was designed by, actually, uh, the Weapons Research Establishment, as it, as it was then called. And so it was called RESAT, spelt with a silent W at the beginning, W-R-E-S-A-T, which is the Weapons Research Establishment Satellite. Uh, it was a satellite designed to look at uh, the upper atmosphere, to, sorry, to probe the, the uh, environment above the upper atmosphere. In fact, the, the Earth's, um, you know, the, the, the Earth's uh, ionosphere and above the radiation layers above that. Mm. Uh, but uh, the, the extraordinary thing is, uh, as, as I just said, it was launched from Australia um, actually not using an Australian-built rocket, but it does turn out that we, at that time, probably had the technology to build our own rocket to carry this up anyway, because um, Australia had already built what were called sounding rockets, so I think they still are. There's um, 
a very famous one that was um, used many times, or the design used many times, called the Blackbird, a British-sounding rocket. And I think Australia had equivalents. Um, so we could have built the rocket, but we didn't. Uh, the, the, the rocket was, I think it was a Redstone rocket that became available by the US. It was surplus to their requirements. And so they asked around, anybody want a rocket? Um, and, and, and how Aussie is it for us to say, oh, look, we could have done it ourselves, but well, yeah, well, that one's really not- cheap. We'll use it. Just, you know, <laughs> refer to car industry. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> but that, that doesn't surprise me in the slightest. Yeah, well, that's 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 right. There are parallels there, definitely. Anyway, we we got this rocket, uh, and the satellite was designed by the weapons research establishment and built by them, and then launched from Woomera, from the uh, what was the rocket proving ground in Woomera, uh, and successfully put into orbit. I think it was in orbit for a number of weeks. Uh, eight weeks is the figure that comes to my mind. I'm not sure whether that's accurate, but it was about that length of time uh, before it re-entered the atmosphere, um, and the rocket itself. Itself, uh, is still around. It's actually preserved, uh, I think, at Woomera. I should check that, but I think you can go and see uh, this uh, this rocket. Yes, the Woomera Heritage Centre Rocket Park well, has wow. has this rocket. Um, uh, of course, the rocket body itself fell back to Earth and uh, 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 basically is not in good shape because of that, because there was no steps made for it to, to to fall back to Earth in a controlled manner. We couldn't um, afford the silk. Yes, that's right. <laughs> we had to borrow that as well. Uh, yeah, actually, um, so, so that, yes, so, so it's a, an amazing story. Uh, an Australian launched uh, spacecraft, only the third country in the world to do that. Why do people not know about this? Why didn't I know about well, it? Well, that's the obvious question, which I was going to pose, but now that you've opened that door... Yes. Why, did, why, don't, why didn't we know about this, Fred? <laughs> Um, I think it's uh, well. I, there has been a suggestion. There's a very nice article about this by um, Alice Gorman, somebody I, I know um, uh, from from uh, you know her outreach activities in in space and astronomy. Alice is actually a space archaeologist. She's a really interesting character to talk to because she's all about the heritage value of um, of orbiting rock, uh, spacecraft and things of that sort. But she's written a very nice article that kind of begs the question. Um, is it because of the tall poppy syndrome? You know, is it because uh, we we in uh, in Australia are always, you know, we're, we're always kind of suspicious of anybody who sticks up above the above the crowd yeah, and says, puffs themselves up a bit. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's true. So maybe we, you know, maybe we just say, oh yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we launched a rocket. We yeah, yeah, talk. yeah, we did that. Yeah, been there, done that. What's next? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, really interesting. Um, yeah. Alice actually, in her article about this, makes the comment that um, space was big news in Australia in the 1960s, and uh, of course it was everywhere because of the Apollo program. But the the, the, the a lot of a lot of um, you know a lot of things that. Uh, were would have suggested that people would have made more of this of this uh, weapons research establishment satellite, um, and I think she it makes me wonder whether whether that sort of military research research uh, connection was seen as its downfall in terms of public image that it it, it, were, it was just too close to uh, to well the Vietnam War and all that sort of thing mm. at a time when Australia was perhaps looking away from it from uh, uh, strong military connections maybe that 
so and, we did. and right in the middle of the Cold War and yes, that's right, all yeah. that sort of stuff. So uh, yeah, I, I, it also proves why we weren't that shocked by Star Wars. I mean, if we were getting involved that early, it um, it probably yep. wasn't that big a shock to us. I'm I'm looking at a photo, Fred, of a piece of space junk which has got USA painted on the side, uh, lying on its side behind a chicken wire fence. That wouldn't be it, would it? Uh, it would, yeah. And gee, we're good uh, at putting things on display in this country. I mean, <laughs> what's wrong with chicken spared wire? No, they've spared no expense. <laughs> you know, yeah, um, Alice again points out that um, the because this thing got hot as it re-entered the atmosphere, it wasn't coming in fast enough to melt, uh, but it got hot and it burned off. Uh, the kangaroo that had been painted on the side of it and revealed the letters USA underneath because oh, of course. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, and you can <laughs> just, you can sort of see traces of something that could be a kangaroo behind the chicken wire there. I can too, but um, yeah, it doesn't surprise me. And we're we're pretty good at killing kangaroos in this country too. Yeah, well, that's but, right. Um, we- yeah, we are. Yeah. But it, look, for all jokes aside, it, it's a really impressive achievement and one that's gone mostly unnoticed. And uh, yeah, we, we should be um, kind of proud of ourselves without getting too puffed up and turning ourselves into tall poppies. I think they need to make a movie about it, Andrew. They a bit should. Like, a bit like The Dish. Uh, yeah, well, that was a huge success. Great yeah, film. Uh, and, and again, another example of Australia's uh, Australians paying themselves out Yes. Uh, which we're very good at doing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> very good at doing. Uh, and if anyone ever gets a chance to go to Woomera, or as those uh, UK kinds of people like to call it, Woomera, uh, it's in South Australia, which is where you are, Fred, at the moment. Indeed, although I'm not at Woomera. I'm, <laughs> I'm in Adelaide. <laughs> I'm just, just proving the point for you. And, and for those who are wondering what... Woomera means, especially uh, those that aren't from Australia. A Woomera was a, a, an Aboriginal weapon which mm. they used to launch spears so that they could actually throw them much further. They had a, a like a, a lever effect. They could, they could fling a, a spear a lot further and a lot faster using a Woomera, and that's why our rocket range uh, has that name. You're listening to Space Nuts with Andrew Dunkley and Fred Watson. Now, let's take a little break and find out more about our sponsor, Express VPN, rated number one by Tech Radar. Uh, this is the one I use. I've been using it for a couple of years and I love it. When I joined Express VPN, they were, they were brand new, uh, new to the market, but uh, I read a lot of reviews and did a lot of comparisons. And there was just something about their, their business model that I particularly liked. And a couple of years down the track, honestly, can't complain. Their interface is very easy to use. Their, their service is second to none. Uh, I've had to contact them a couple of times about um, certain things that I wanted to do, and they were brilliant. So you may be wondering why I do need a VPN at all. It's all about privacy. Uh, Do you really want big tech companies, governments, and others knowing uh, what's going on with your online activity? Even if you're having nothing to hide, it just feels downright creepy. Uh, I think you'll agree. And governments are getting more and more interested in what you're doing every day. And so, yeah, protecting your privacy is what VPN is all about. And how often do you uh, run across websites that you want to get information from only to find that they're geo-blocked? 
This is becoming an increasing problem, but ExpressVPN solves that problem for you. Uh, now, if you go to our special URL, you'll see quite a list of things this service can help you with, things you may never have thought of before. As I say, it's the one I use, secure, fast, and it just works. Uh, so protect yourself online today and find out more about how to get three months free at tryexpressvpn.com slash space. That's T-R-Y-E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash space for three months free with a one-year package. Try expressvpn.com slash space to learn more and you'll find the link details in the show notes and on our website. Now... Back to the show. Okay, we checked all four systems and team with a go. Space Nuts. Now, Fred, uh, one of the, uh, I suppose, pet subjects in astronomy uh, at this point in time, and that is dark matter. Uh, it's something that we think exists. Uh, it's something that I recently read where they suggested, no, hang on, no, it doesn't. Well, <laughs> now the Chinese say, yes, it does. We've found evidence of it, uh, except they haven't seen anything. So, so where are we at? <laughs> it's the blind leading the blind, really, isn't it? <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. So, yeah. So, so Dark Matter 101, um, uh, we know it's there because we see the effect of something that has gravitation uh, but is otherwise invisible uh, holding galaxies together. So when we look at galaxies in space, we can measure how fast they're rotating, these huge aggregations of uh, hundreds of billions of stars and gas and lots of dust and things like that. Um, they, the way they spin, they should fly apart because when you look at them, there's not enough object, uh, not enough matter in them uh, to have the gravity required to, to counteract the centrifugal force of the spin. Uh, but they don't. They don't fly apart. They last for a very long time. Uh, many of the oldest galaxies have been around for 12 or 13 billion years. So uh, that led to the uh, I guess the realization, principally in the 1980s, although there were hints of it 50 years before that, uh, the realization that there is something out there which has been misnamed dark matter. It really should be called invisible matter. Uh, but there's something out there that doesn't have any kind of interaction with normal light or normal matter, except that it has gravitation. And so that's led the people who build theories about subatomic particles uh, that, that's led them on this um, real, really, I, I guess it's an epic trek to try and work out what these dark matter particles are. And I might just add here, Andrew, that the, the idea that um, dark matter was actually things like failed stars or, or um, small black holes or dead planets or whatever, in other words, solid things that, uh, that you can't see because they, they, they don't radiate anything. The idea that dark matter was made of those was scotched in the 1990s because we found evidence that actually that's not the case. Mm. Uh, and so dark matter is now known to be some species of subatomic particle kind of like the electrons and, and protons that we're used to making up normal matter, but um, much more massive probably, and also with different characteristics, characteristics that allow it to be revealed only by gravity. Uh, so that's the, that's the back story. <laughs> and now there is a front story as well, because some of the theoretical models of what dark matter is suggest that you can get a situation where very rarely a dark matter particle will hit 
a par particle of normal matter and we'll split it into uh, an electron and a positron. In other words, it'll it'll turn it basically hit the hit the normal matter and turn the dark matter into its normal matter component and what we call antimatter which is just the same thing but with a different electrical charge so like an electron has an antimatter um, an antimatter equivalent which instead of having a negative electrical charge which an electron has it's got a positive electrical charge and it's called a positron and as everybody knows if you bring a particle and its antiparticle together like an electron and a positron you'll get an emission of energy you get energy out of it it's a big thing in science fiction uh, having antimatter drives i'm sure you know all oh, about absolutely in positron ray guns <laughs> exactly all that stuff mm. so um, there is the possibility that these dark matter particles rarely might hit a normal matter particle in such a way that it splits it into its into its particle and antiparticle equivalent. And if they do that, when those two recombine, you actually get basically a gamma ray um, um, signal. And that's one of the things that people have looked for around the centre of our galaxy where there should be a lot of dark matter because we believe dark matter is more common near the middle of galaxies. People have looked for uh, evidence of particular kinds of gamma rays. Gamma rays are very short wavelength light rays. They're very high energy. Uh, so there have been hints of that, but this is slightly different. This is uh, an experiment which is led by uh, Chinese scientists, uh, and indeed they have built a spacecraft whose name is DAMPE, D-A-M-P-E, which stands for Dark Matter Particle Explorer. And what that does is looks for, um, it looks for uh, particles flying through space. And in particular, it looks for what are called cosmic rays. Now, cosmic rays are raining down on the Earth all the time. They don't come from the sun. That's the solar wind that comes from the sun. Mm -hmm. um, the cosmic rays actually come from highly energetic events like supernova explosions and things like that in, in, in galaxies and in our own galaxies. So they are kind of there all the time. And some of them have got very high energies. Um, so what this spacecraft is looking for is looking at the, the sort of cosmic ray background, this rain of cosmic rays that's coming in. But it's it's looking at um, a kind of spectrum of cosmic rays, rain, you know, with different energies that they have. Um, so uh, it's a, almost an equivalent in particle physics of what we do in light with the with a prism. You break up the light with a prism, and the the high energy end is the violet end of the spectrum. The low energy end is the red end of the spectrum. You can do the same thing with particles. You've got a high energy end of the spectrum and a low energy end of the spectrum. You do that. And what you expect to find is a smooth curve, a smoothly varying curve um, that shows, you know, that the, the energies uh, a peak in the middle or something like that and smoothly fall off on either side. But uh, it turns out that you don't find that. You actually find a jump in this spectrum. And the particle physicists are convinced, or well, some of them are, that that jump is because of um, because of interactions with dark matter particles. It's, it's something uh, happening with these cosmic rays that they bash into a dark matter particle and the cosmic rays kind of split into bits. And so you get a characteristic point in this spectrum where something is missing. And that's what this spacecraft has found. It's very esoteric stuff, Andrew, and I'm certainly not explaining it very well. But the, um, the suggestion now is that we're perhaps seeing the first evidence of 
of of um, uh, real uh, a real detection of dark matter rather than just a detection because of its gravity. Uh, there's clearly going to be more uh, exploration of these data. They will you know, analyze the results to bits, and I think the spacecraft is still active. It's still doing its thing. Um, so uh, I think this is one of these news stories that we need to watch. Uh, that we might find that the the um, you know the swell of of scientific opinion moves towards the fact that yes, this was genuinely dark matter detection, and that would be very exciting because it gives us an idea what to look for when you're trying to create um, an equivalent of all that in uh, machines like the Large Hadron Collider down there in Geneva. Mm. We we probably shouldn't be surprised that it's panning out the way it is because how many discoveries in astronomy have been made by uh, putting together concepts that you can't see, resulting in a detection of some kind that suggests, okay, something's out there. I mean, they use mathematics to um, find objects they know exist but have never seen. So yes, that's it, stands, right. it stands to reason that this this is uh, a, v a very big step forward in, in seeing dark matter or at least um, proving its existence. I think that's beyond, right. Beyond reasonable doubt. That's correct, yeah. And so, um, well, I guess we can all hope that um, it won't leave us in the dark for much longer. Well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Touché. Mm. All right. We'll leave it there, but there'll be more on dark matter, I'm sure, in the not-too-distant future. That's fine. <laughs> You're listening to not... Space Nuts, Andrew Dunkley here, and Fred Watson somewhere down there on the bottom of the Australian continental shelf. Space nuts. Now, Fred, never let it be said that we don't take this show deadly seriously. I mean, we've talked about some incredible stuff uh, over the last couple of years and uh, just reflecting on other things we've talked about in recent times, such as animals in space. You know, there have been uh, rats, mice, chimpanzees, dogs and even spiders in space. But now we've got pizza in space. It doesn't get any more serious than that. Well, it doesn't if you're a pizza lover and you're stuck up on the International Space Station for six months wondering when you're next going to get a pizza. Uh, I think this is deadly serious, Andrew. And um, clearly NASA has taken it seriously enough that a special... A uh, specially designed pizza oven for use in zero gravity <laughs> has been flown to the International Space Station with the uh, with the latest uh, set of you know cargo that's gone up there. So yes, we've seen some lovely video footage now from the International Space Station of astronauts fe feasting on pizzas, uh, and actually, it's even worse than that because. Uh, just as we are told when we're from infancy that you don't play with your food, that's actually what they're doing. Yeah, they're they are. <laughs> they're playing frisbees. They're doing that spin on the finger thing, which they're cheating because yeah. they're in zero G. That's cheating. Uh, and um, yeah, but it looks like they were having a hell of a lot of fun. It does indeed, and they probably enjoyed uh, eating it as well. I, I guess the question is, why is it hard to make a pizza in space? And I suspect also the answer lies in the fact that if you think about the way a pizza's made on Earth, gravity does play quite an important plays quite an important it role. Plays on it. a huge role. <laughs> it sticks everything down. <laughs> so I don't know quite how they managed to do it in space. Whether they 
um, you know, they, they uh, coated their pizza bases with some particularly sticky form of cheese that meant that when you put the various ingredients on it, it they actually stuck there. They didn't just float away. Uh, but the, the end result is successful. As the video attests, they are certainly feasting on pizzas. And I bet the smell throughout the space station was pretty good. Yeah, well, from what I've heard about uh, the space station and spaceships in general, the smell on them is usually pretty bad. Yeah, so maybe a, yeah. a little hint of pizza, pizza sauce, pepperoni, um, anchovy. No, let's not go there. Uh, it would probably, you know, lighten the atmosphere a bit, so to speak. I guess it might have done. Mm. Uh, it has. This story has echoes of um, of another story that I think we covered a couple of years ago, uh, which was about an Italian astronaut who did her stint on the space station. Sadly, I can't remember her name, but I'm sure I could find it very easily. But a part of the deal when she went up into space was that a very well-known Italian coffee-making company developed uh, an espresso machine that could work in zero gravity so that you could, so that she could have a cup of coffee every morning. And they sent it up as well. She, when she flew, the, uh, this espresso machine was sent up uh, to, um, you know, to, to provide her needs. I'm just going to... I'm just. Was it Samantha Christopheretti? There was a C in her name. I do remember that. Yeah, yes, was, I, I just looked it up. All <laughs> oh, right. Mm. I thought your memory was pretty good there, Andrew. But I should have known. Better, really. <laughs> yeah, you should have. Uh, <laughs> don't play short. How thanks. much would a space pizza oven actually cost? <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. It's a good question. Most things that you send up into space are specially made, so uh, they cost rather a lot of money. Um, but if you could find a way of 3D printing one, then it'll be a lot cheaper. Yeah, that's an interesting <laughs> thought. And, of course, these days we do enjoy home delivery when it comes to pizza, but I would imagine that this home delivery cost a heck of a lot. It could have done, yes. Well, especially if the home delivery included the oven that you make the pizzas with. <laughs> yes. more, you know, more than the usual remit. Oh, I wouldn't pay for the delivery if I had to cook it myself. Yeah, quite so. Mm. Um, anyway, you know, uh, hopefully these uh, people on the space station enjoyed their meal of pizza. I think um, the, uh, Samantha, who you mentioned, uh, enjoyed her coffee as well, except there's a slight touch of uh, ignominy about it because... You make this beautiful espresso coffee, but then you've got to drink it through a straw because yes. it's the only way to get it into your mouth. It's <laughs> no way to drink coffee. No, that's right. No, but they actually did eat the pizzas like you'd eat a pizza. So I think that's they true, had yes. that advantage. Mm. When, they, when they managed to catch them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And if you do want to watch the video, I think you'll find it on the BBC Science and Environment webpage. So uh, worth having a look. It's only a short video, but. Um, what they didn't like it's in high speed so you can see the whole process in in lightning speed in about 45 seconds the only thing they needed under that was some benny hill music i reckon <laughs> quite so would have finished it off nicely indeed it would uh, we will leave it there fred thank you so much as always enjoy adelaide and i'm sure you can't wait to get back to new south wales uh, I'll probably find my way back there eventually, I hope. Anyway, good to talk to you again, Andrew, and we'll speak again soon. That's Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Observatory, even, and you've been listening to the podcast we like to call Space Nuts with traces of Andrew and Fred. And uh, you can listen um, online anytime through most podcast distributors. Don't forget to listen to Back Issues. This was episode 82, so we've been at this for a very, very long uh, time. 
Uh, but we have a lot of fun and we hope you do too. And we love your feedback via Twitter and Facebook. So please keep those uh, comments, questions, ideas and concepts coming in. Until next time, thank you again for joining us on Space Nuts. Space Nuts. You've been listening to the Space Nuts podcast. Subscribe to the full podcast on iTunes, Audioboom and Stitcher or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Sites.com.